So, I want... Uh, would you be interested in discussing your journey in cancer? Because before we talk about your idea of how to make cancer care better, mm-hmm. or do you not want that? Because it would be really helpful for my podcast to talk about that. Because <laughs> we need... We talked about you having cancer at the very beginning of season two, and then I never brought it up again. Sure. Um, yeah. But we can make that. Can this be part of this, or do you yeah. want it? Okay. So, because part of, I mean, when, so part of the reason why, well, part of the reason why we haven't talked about it again is because we don't have time to talk half the time. Because of our super challenging, intense child. <laughs> and there's just whatever. Lots going on. There's just lots going on. And and the other thing is, I think that it was, you were, you didn't appear or express to be like traumatized by this experience. You converted that energy pretty quickly, like any of your experience of it into a uh, practical what can I do with this and how can I make this better because you're actually in an industry where you can make change Mm -hmm. and it was an interesting experience for you to come across given that you could then easily convert that into making experiences better but do you want to you know just sort of highlight what that experience was like for you and then I can ask you and then we can sort of talk about how you envisioned a better experience for other people after that but Mm. what was it like for you to from like beginning to end not that it's ever over but from that first point through to even your surgery or your, or your post-op care. Yeah. yeah, I guess. I guess you want me to ask you about the beginning part? Like, so the first sure. part was, you know, obviously, I think it's probably fairly common f- for most people is that there's this period where the, there's suspected cancer. Yeah, something's up. Something's up. Whether it's you feel something or something comes up on a test, a diagnostic, or, or something's showing up on your body or something. Yeah. So there's like that first initial, there's always an initial, I guess not always, because some people discover it through other means, they're operating for other reasons and they find a tumor or something. But most often, there's this period of we suspect something's going on. Yeah. And then, yeah, for sure. Either it's through symptoms or through inadvertent testing, like, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I would put all of that into the something's up phase. Yeah. Where you don't know exactly what it is. Something's going on. Um, So for me, it was, I had that pain kind of I don't know, discomfort or whatever at the 
kind of in like groin area for intermittently on and off for a couple of years and I could never figure out what it was. Um, at the bottom of my abdomen. And, and then I had it. So that was coming and going. Nobody could figure out what it was. They ruled out all the like bad stuff. And then I had a really sharp pain in my lower back. And so to They me, ruled out all the localized bad stuff, like Yeah, like any they ruled out different types of cancers, any infections, etc. Um I forget what else. But they did a bunch of tests a number of times and couldn't find anything. And then I had pain in my back. And then, so my think, I was like, oh, wait a second. Maybe all of this has been like kidney stones and the pain that I was feeling before was referred pain or like pain that was coming through my, my ureter, my um through my bladder or something. I don't know. I didn't really have a great explanation for it, but maybe somehow kidney stones are involved. And I didn't read anything or read up on it at all. I just I just walked to, went to a walk-in clinic and and uh, so I got seen and they did an ultrasound and rolled out kidney stones, but then they found this. Um, tumor on my kidney or well it wasn't a tumor yet well they, sorry they didn't know it was a tumor suspicious mass on my kidney and my GP looked at it um, looked at the results and said oh like we need to keep following this come back in four to six months and get another ultrasound so I did that came back and it had grown a little bit it was still like pretty small it was like a centimeter in diameter at that point and so anyway so then uh, there's a so then she's like oh you need to go see a specialist and so she tried to refer me off to a urologist and it was going to be a long time because I couldn't get in I couldn't get a hold of them at one office and then at another office, the doctor's like, or the receptionist said that he was like away on vacation or something, and it would be like three to six weeks before I could see him. Um, I don't know, blah blah blah. It was taking a long time. I couldn't couldn't get in touch with them quickly, and you know, my GP was like, "This is probably cancer," and so waiting around felt like a bad idea so so then I went into my professional networks and asked around if anybody had a urologist that I could get a referral to um, and so I, I got one fairly quickly fairly quickly through, uh, with a urologist who's at my hospital um, and so I Lots of like back and forth and emails and getting my GP to send a referral through and 
faxes and et cetera, and I can't remember the, all the details, but basically it was a lot of a lot of kind of stress and administrative work to get this referral through and get it confirmed that I was being seen by this new, this specialist and and getting my first visit set up. All of that was a few days. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe a week from the second test to getting getting a referral. Yeah, oh, that was quick. Sorry, 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 sorry. I missed a step. After the ultrasound, my GP was like, "You, we need a better image of this thing. Go and get a CT." And so she, she gave me a, a image rack, a form that says you can get a CT, and told me to walk it into the Toronto General Hospital because I work there and see if I can get seen quick, quicker. And then she also faxed it in. And so I went, and they were like, no, you can't get seen quicker. <laughs> nice try. Um, and then, and then at that point, I was talking to some people, and they said, "Oh, are you on my UHN yet?" Some of my colleagues, people that I work with, and I was like, "No, nobody's talked to me about that." Um, Which is what? It's the patient portal. So where you can see all of your tests and yeah, appointments, in theory. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, so there's some scheduling, trying to get a get imaging was, I wouldn't say a nightmare, but there was, I was calling around. Basically, I wanted to get my CT as soon as possible. I would say and that so was one of the most stressful points for you. Yeah. Was because you were... Because I was... Yeah. You were uh, in this weird zone where you weren't just letting it happen right. and going with the, like, they'll call you when they right. get their faxed referral or requisition or whatever. Right. You were you were trying to be really active yeah. and make sure that you get seen and get seen as quickly as possible. And, you know, you're leaving message, you can get through, and, like, there was there were unknowns... Um, about how to do that, like that, how to pro get that done, yeah, and to get that done was one of the most stressful points. That's a good point. How to get it done? What is like? Because there's all these unknown. Yeah, exactly what you just said. Like, how do you actually get a referral to a good, a good um, specialist, for instance? So. The first one that my GP did was is a, I don't know, community urologist who I, I don't know what their training is or the background or what their specialty is. Like, are they, are they, do they specialize in, in testicular cancer? Do they specialize in surgery? Are they, like, you know, there's all sorts of different niches and nuances. Are they kidney people? Are they... You know, do they not do surgery? Do they have privileges? 
whatever which is surgical all stuff. privileges in outside the city do they operate once a week do they operate once a month like all this stuff that i had no idea about but actually all the stuff that you knew about which made it more complicated Sorry, that i knew existed but i didn't have the information right so an, a non-informed healthcare person would have just waited for them to call them right and get the referral to whoever they got a referral to. Right. But you had all the special knowledge, yeah. and that made it that actually made it more stressful for you, yeah. I think. Yeah, so if you were, like, a person who didn't know, and the GP was, like, she was she was scared, like, visibly, like, oh, my God, we got to take care of this quickly. Um, she... So she kind of sparked it, sparked the fear, if you will, and then tried to get a referral. But the guy was was gonna be a number of weeks. So yeah. So then I imagine a, a rate like a lay person would just be scared for a number of weeks. Yeah, just without waiting, being waiting, able waiting, to do anything. Without anything but Google, um, and then. And then, like, who knows? The the urologist may have been like, "Oh, I can't handle like I, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't operate on kidneys. I only do testicular. I only do bladder or whatever, or I do, have no operating privileges or yeah. whatever the case may be. Or I, yeah, sure, I'll do this, but I've only done one of these in my life. Are you cool with that? Like." Well, they would never say that. It, or they may, or they would not give you the option. I don't know. So there's all of that stuff. So like. So this is still in the pre-confirmation. Uh, yeah, I still don't know if I have cancer or not, but my GP is scared. And right. So then like, you finally. So then I. Got the CT. Get the CT. Um, and it's. Through, through, I think I got on a wait list. I think the earliest I could be seen was like a number of weeks, and then I was like, "Hey, FYI, I'm I work here, so I can easily pop in if there's ever a cancellation." Are you sure that wasn't for the MRI? I don't know. Okay, well, whatever. I think I think it was for the CT, and then they called me back and said, "Hey, like I, I booked one for a few weeks at yeah somewhere," and then they called back and said, "Hey, there's one." At the end of the day, at the at Toronto Western, can you make this time? And I said, yeah. And so, so at that point, they didn't give me any information about my CT. I'd never had a CT before, um, and so my the only info I had was on my requisition, or was it on my rec? It was what my my oh somehow. My GP's administrator was doing this, somehow was involved. And so they were the one that told me when my appointment was. Because I wasn't on my UHN at that point. And That's for the else. MRI? No, this was, this was for this one. Okay. So, so I had no idea about anything. And so I... I didn't know what the deal was, what a CT was, and like what the procedure was and what you had to do. And so 
then I got it on my UHM because somebody, one of my friends told me to. So I self-enrolled in it. And then, and therefore, I got a, a booking, like a scheduled booking, which told me when to go. I put it in my calendar. And so I, I biked over like 15 minutes before my, my thing, got there or whatever, I don't know, 10 minutes early, let's say. And as I'm biking over, I'm like, oh, shit, I wonder if I need to, like, do anything for this. Like, not eat or not drink or eat something, like, ingest a dye or something. And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm just treating this as if it's an x-ray, but I don't actually know. So I called just as I was biking over. And they were like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to be here, like, I forget, an hour before. And you're not supposed to eat or drink anything for four hours. I was like, okay, like, well, I'm biking over now. Is this okay? And they're like, yeah, sure, get here as quickly as possible. We'll see if we can squeeze you in. And so <laughs> they did. Um, and so I waited and waited and waited. And I don't know if that was because I wasn't there when I was actually supposed to be there or, or what. But the people there were super nice. But at the end of the day, there's nobody around, nobody in the weight room. And then filled out some forms. Um, they double-checked that I wasn't allergic to some dye, which I had no idea if I was or not. I didn't even know what this dye was. I was like, are you sure you're doing the right procedure? I don't know. It's just a, <laughs> like a CT. Um, anyway, and then they had me wait. They took or no, sent me downstairs to wait for the appoint for the for the imaging, and and I was just sitting there for like, I don't know how long, and nobody was around. It's just like this dark, empty hallway, and there's a couple of seats in the hallway, and so I was just waiting there, waiting there, waiting there, and it wasn't like patients were coming in and out of rooms or anything so anyway eventually somebody came and got me it was like a really weird weird experience um it's like a ghost town how did you feel I, I wasn't scared I was just kept being like am I like did they forget about me or am I in the right place oh or like I, am I getting the right procedure like are they yeah. Doing the right thing here? What's why am I getting dye? How do you know if I'm allergic to this dye? Yeah, so just like questions going yeah. through your mind. And they asked me like the only two questions were, Are you allergic to dye like this contrast dye? And do you have any problems with your kidneys? Because the dye right. screws with your kidneys. And I'm yeah, like, like, Well, I might have kidney cancer, does that count? And they're like, Well, it diagnosed I'm like no that's why I'm here <laughs> yeah that's the point of this whole thing yeah so that was just like all of that was going through and it was like is this a bad idea like am I getting the wrong thing yeah. because I this dye should I be ingesting that or yeah which that? is an interesting experience because again a naive person like an uninformed healthcare person would just be 
person who, sorry, I'm trying to word this properly, but someone who's just not informed about the healthcare system would just be there and probably would be worried about the by themselves, like some of those, but then there's these extra questions where you're kind of partially informed, but then they're treating you as if you are, you don't need to know these answers, but they're raising more questions for you. So mm -hmm. it, it kind of, yeah, it puts you in a weird spot. Yeah. And I guess, like, how do you answer these questions? Like, how would anyone, regardless of they knowing, like, the system or not? Well, I mean... Like, am I allergic to radioactive dye but that I've never had? This is... Like, how, how is anyone supposed to answer that? Yeah, so there's a lot of... Um, I guess a big theme that I didn't actually even realize until we're talking about this right now is the 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 unknowns yeah. and this is a problem because we are in an age where it's the information age like we have access to information so when that information when when we are not given access to that or somehow prevented or it's special knowledge that there's no way of us really getting other than googling we feel very much in the dark. Right. And so part of the navigation through this, which I guess we can talk about later, I think is supporting people's awareness and information. Like we are trying to create patients who are informed, but yet there's no way of getting fully informed. So, so what does fully informed mean? You had these specific questions. There's no reason why these questions couldn't have been asked, answered for you if there was some kind of mechanism where you could just, like, whether it's an app or, like, a quick person, can I have a chat with my navigator or whoever it is and say, hey, what's this die? And they can be like, blah, 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 blah. So rather than giving you all the possible information, it's giving you a person who can answer the questions that you specifically need because your questions are going to be different than my questions, than my mom's questions, than your mom's questions, yeah. you know, but you felt uh, some anxiety and stress and worry and confusion because you didn't have the answers to the questions that were going through your mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, for sure, you can always ask the people who, who are involved in whatever stage of care or diagnosis you're in. But two things, I remember thinking, when I was down in the hallway by myself, I remember thinking like, who, like, should I leave my seat here and go? Because I started thinking about all these questions that we're talking about right. while I'm waiting about to get this dye that's going to affect my kidneys. I'm like, who should I talk to about this? Should I wait until they're injecting, like, yeah. until I'm getting plugged in? Yeah, like, are they the knowledgeable person? Yeah. Or should I go and talk to the administrator who, yeah. like the person at the front desk who was ask, originally asking me these questions, who was just checking me in, and l leave my seat and nobody's down here so they'll, nobody will know where I went. Right, so if they come to get you and you're not there, they'll just they'll, be like, oh, he left. Yeah, and then, then that's the end wait. of the day and then we'll have to wait for another Yeah, or you weeks. wait for another two hours and realize everyone went home. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you're also that was the first point where I was like, if I just had an app where I could just fire off these relatively simple questions. Yeah, exactly. 
and somebody could get back to me. It's not yeah. like incredibly personal. It doesn't need to be. They don't need to know my whole medical history. I don't think. Right. But it's like, what is this contrast dye? Is it okay to have this contrast dye if I might have kidney cancer? Yeah. Um, am I getting the right? Like, I was signed up to get a CT. Yeah. Is this? They're talking about a dye that could affect my kidney. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it would be great to fire off those questions. And then even those, if the person couldn't tell me on the other side of this chat, they could say, oh, yeah, talk to your, the next this person. This is who you talk to. See. Yeah. So it's an information and resource manager. Yeah. That would be huge. Because all, so the balance is the amount of information. Because there's a shitload of information yeah. that exists around every single step that you went through. Yeah. And there is no way that we would give all of that information to patients. Yeah. Like that's overwhelming. And we've seen the effects of that through your cancer experience. I feel like it through my hospital birth experience. So it's like somehow filtering the information that's relevant to that particular patient based on their background, their education, their questions, you know, their worries, whatever it is. And then, and that's, that is a huge role for someone is just to be that information manager yeah. and resource manager. Yeah. And the dream is to make it an, like some sort of smart system that would do the first line of this education, triaging, et cetera, automatically or without a human, without a human touch. Yeah. Um, what that looks like and if that's possible is like a whole, whole other thing. Um, yeah, okay, so anyway. so one one theme from your experience is like the unknowns yeah. and not, unknowns and not knowing who to talk to about the unknowns. Yeah. And being felt like left. Yeah. Left alone. Yeah. Physically and like, mostly physically and, and knowledge-wise. Yeah, I mean, I was, the, the, the unknowns, like not, understanding all this stuff was anxiety provoking for sure yeah um, yeah I feel like a lot of your anxiety because the first when we first did our recording you had already been diagnosed with cancer huh. and that gave you a good amount of relief I feel like you're like kind of closure around it yeah and, I mean, you knew you were getting taken care of. You were already in the hands of, like, the best urologist in the city, in yeah. the country, possibly, like, yeah. for your particular issue. Uh, like, he was the expert uh -huh. in, in what you needed to get done. Um, so, you know, you had, yeah, I mean, there were some issues like small questions that needed to be answered, but like basically you felt taken care of. You felt like you were in the hands of the right person. Yeah. And that made a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. But so to go back, so I got my CT, then then I got my results through, through my, my UHM, yeah. like right away. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like yep. before I. Yeah, within a couple of days probably. But I almost feel like it was faster, but. I don't know. 
maybe. But but you, it was just something that was posted. You had no discussion with someone. Yeah, no discussion. So it was posted. And no known uh, follow-up appointment. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. And so I was still in the care of my GP at this time. And, um, and so I went, I self-scheduled, like I called my GP Because the results said potential cancerous or yeah. something like that. So oh, like, yeah. And I think at this time it also said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It also said multiple lesions. That was your sus- MRI. That was the MRI. No, no, it was this one. Really? It was my CT. Okay. Because, yeah, I remember because I was pissed at my MRI because... They never talked about them? No, it didn't indicate on my... It didn't say on my MRI rec that I was supposed to get a liver... Mm. My liver scanned as well. Right, because things showed up on the liver. Because... My GP, I don't know why my GP did the rec for that. But she's my, very cautious. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. Maybe my specialist did like some some weirdness in this. Um. Yeah. Anyway, it said that. It said that I had multiple lesions, suspicious lesions, in my liver, and the, it was like medical jargon, but basically, after it was interpreted, basically it said that it was not likely to be benign. So that was when I was, it was likely kidney cancer and... Potentially metastatic. Potentially... Or at least through like multiple tumors in my liver as well, mm-hmm. which scared the shit out of me. And that's where I freaked. Or I didn't freak, but that's where I was like, thought I was going to die in six months. Yeah. And you had to. Yeah, so again, and then at the worst point where you're the most scared, there was no obvious. Like if you were an inactive patient and just waited for the healthcare system to do its thing, who knows when you would have got that follow-up with your GP. Yeah, and I would, Because yeah. you had to be active and call and say, I need, I just saw these results on my UHN. I need to schedule an appointment. Yeah. I need to know what my next steps are. Yeah. And so I scheduled that. And I signed, I had signed up for my UHN. So maybe a regular, like, nobody yeah. told me to sign up for my UHN. So maybe they wouldn't have gotten the results anyway so I get in in a week or something to my GP and she had no idea because she never got the results right for whatever reason yeah she's like oh so what's going on you know and oh yeah you had that CT what like let's see if I can bring up the results she couldn't because she didn't have them so you did and luckily I had gone and burnt a CD of my images, paid for it, and got this stupid CD that I couldn't use, and then brought my computer with the results from my UHN, the patient portal. And so uh, after she searched through all of her files, she's like, I don't have it. And I was like, I do. I 
gave her my computer, and so she's reading the results like <laughs> a week after I had seen them. Um, I'm trying to quickly understand what to make of it. Um, and then, so I think in the recommendation of the CT by the, the interpretation from the radiologist was that I should get a more imaging. Um, and so she then made, then got the referral. I don't know. I think I was waiting to visit the, waiting to visit my specialist, the specialist, the urologist at that point. And she followed the recommendation of the radiologist and made it an image rec for the MRI. So then I, again, went and got that set up. I, I don't remember the details of that. It was, oh yeah, that one was, maybe this is the one. Anyway, getting some of the details confused. But this one I called and I was trying to get, get my MRI, but UHN didn't have one for a number of weeks. And then, so they recommended calling Sinai and Women's, which are outside of our hospital network. Um, so I did, and they have their own booking system. Um, anyway, and I got a call back from Sinai. They had an opening, so I went, I don't know, a couple weeks later, let's say, to get an MRI. Um, and then went there, and I got all, wait, 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 get all suited up and ready, and then... They asked me the dye questions again, which didn't freak me out this time. Um, and then I get in there, and the, the, <laughs> the imaging tech is like, so what are we doing today? I'm like having my left kidney and my liver scanned. He's like, hmm, nope. I only have it down here for your kidney, so I can't do your liver. I'm like, are you kidding me? At this point, I still think I have metastatic cancer. And I'm, like, losing it. I'm, like, can you, like, can I show you what it says on the CT scan? Like, can, yeah. like, and I'm just, and he, you know. Yeah. It's not his fault. But it was just, like, sorry, I don't write the orders. I can't do it. And so back and forth, back and forth. Like, and then he's, like, do you want to cancel? You have two options. You can, you can do it and then come back once you have another wreck for the liver or you can just walk away and go back and get a wreck for both of them and rebook. And so it's already been a few weeks now. And I'm again, I think I have a few months to live. And so I'm like, no, just do it. Um, and so again, really, I don't know what could have helped at that point of the tool, but I was pissed, and so I got it, and and then shortly then after I went into to see my to see the specialist. <sighs> so yeah, you're right. All of that was 
everything leading up to seeing the specialist was intense. You should remember this because um, when people ask you totally. how it was, you pass it off as if it was no big deal. Totally. I don't. What do you mean, the whole thing? Well, yeah. This kinda. is always what happens, and this is what is shitty about doing, like, focus groups and talking to people, um, like patients, because people, usually people don't get seen in focus groups and workshops while they're in the midst of it. Yeah. They get them, like, weeks, months, years out. Yeah. And if you've survived, like, survival bias, survivorship bias for sure, it's like... I had a great experience. Yeah, or... Yeah. Or I survived, therefore I don't remember yeah. the anxiety throughout it because I'm so happy to be alive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's good to rehash the details to remember. Because, yeah, that was... And I remember thinking throughout it. It's like I could understand and conceptualize the, like, scariness of like having cancer and potentially dying from it that was one thing but the like that was like a deep thing but the like irritating frustrating stressful anxiety provoking stuff like the was all the system stuff like why can't you just fucking image my liver at the same time I know how do you not have my records like how is it that the GP that ordered this imaging doesn't get the record, like, the results back. That is insane. Like, how is it that I can't get in to see a, a specialist and I'm just waiting until they come back from vacation? How is it, like, all of these things are just, like, infuriating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, like, how is it that I am not prepared for this test that I'm gonna get like these aren't like some of these things are simple or seemingly simple things and that have a huge impact on the patient's well-being yeah um is there a way, I guess, you know, your challenges, well, I don't want to talk too much about what you're going to do with all this, but yeah, so these are the questions. This is what your energy was around this, what your mind was, yeah. what your frustration was. And then, yeah, and then moving forward, you're right, like, having seen the specialist, and we talked to a fellow Yeah. who was really good and really attentive and spent a decent amount of time with us and then yeah and gave information but that was actually totally overwhelming it was overwhelming and we're two highly educated uh, knowledgeable people in this field you particularly in healthcare and me decently you know um, and we walked away being like what exactly did they say <laughs> And work, and came back with very different ideas. 
Remember that one stat? It was like 60% chance that this is malignant. And you thought it was 40% chance that it was Yeah, I thought it malignant. was just the opposite. Yeah, and we, and I wrote it down because I was the note taker. Yeah, and then but we, I was certain of it. You, we, yeah, and so was I. And so we actually went back in and said, can you tell us what, what you said about this? Is it like, good chance he has cancer, good chance it isn't. And he's like, oh, it's a good chance he is. And said, whatever. I was frustrated with that because they say all these stats and, you know, I'm, I appreciate stats, but it's just thrown at you so quickly. That, blo- that actually, I need to keep remembering that because that blows my mind almost more than anything else is how kind of on a pedestal we as patients and as the healthcare system put the face-to-face interaction with the patient and the clinician. Mm-hmm. Like, that is paramount. That's everything. Physicians get a ton of money for it. Patients look, you know, wait for that visit. It's, like, very reassuring. But, like, most... How valuable, actually, is it? Yeah, like, for sure. when we walked away from the primary purpose was to find out whether you were diagnosed with cancer and you thought you were, like, less not likely to have it and I thought you were (laughs) we couldn't even reconcile that after a face to face like the most probably the most important piece of information yeah one sentence you probably have cancer you probably don't yeah and then a gazillion other things that we probably forgot or misremembered yeah yeah so anyway that is like to me I think one of the easiest technological things to fix um, is to either either proactively and um, basically somehow facilitate or enable recording of the visits and and and, and potentially providing a transcript of it. Uh, yeah, a transcript would be amazing. And also follow-up information. You know, like I, I think about Sarah. Like Sarah's talked a lot about her experience with cancer. She is knowledgeable about every drug she's been on, what the current, you know, uh, treatment, known effective treatment is, the experimental treatments. She goes out and reads the scientific papers. She needs to know that. And that exists, and someone can provide her with that. She happens to be able to go get it herself. Someone else doesn't need that information, right? Someone who doesn't, isn't, you know, an academic or, you know, highly interested in the data doesn't need that information. But it exists. So, so the right person can say, okay, here, here are the, the papers that support that. Here's the, you know, oh, you wanted to know more about what the, what the surgery involves. You know, what are the procedures of the surgery? That was of interest to you. Yeah. You know, what does that mean? What does it look like? How long am I out for? We didn't even know yeah. how. You thought you were going to take a week off work. Yeah. And we needed to find out. So that's all available. And they kind of told us that, I think, in that first appointment, maybe the second one. But we didn't remember. 
it's hard to take notes. Why, yeah, why should I be in there? And not just because you had access to another person. Lots of people have to go to these appointments by themselves. And we knew that you should have two people at an appointment so that you have two sets of ears. Yeah. That's absolutely ridiculous. What is your answer? That you need two sets of ears and that we just happen to know that because we have heard that advice from other people. So someone who's, you know, in, who knows? There's a lot of reasons why someone would go by themselves and then they walk away not knowing to question their memory that they likely don't have cancer. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much information that's given there that so many unknowns that could be worrisome. There's so many worrisome unknowns that could be pacified in a patient at that point, depending on what their particular worries are and what information is suitable for them. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's and almost... it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. You could potentially have a faster visit I don't know like I don't know I'm thinking of how to solve that like one is to just transcribe it but then there's all sorts of questions that come out of that but there, there should be a there's also tons of questions that pop up afterwards after you've actually had a chance to digest the, the information that was given because yeah. it's a pretty rapid-fire visit of, like, incredibly um, important, sensitive, stressful <laughs> um, information. So, so much comes up after you've di digested it. Yeah. So, that's a big... It is, and I mean, this is a place where egos have to uh, retreat a little bit. Because I've been thinking about this a lot, and, and it comes up in a lot of different places. Um, any appointment you have, like I go see my naturopath, I retain maybe 15% of it, I get some recommendations, but I forget a lot of it. I go see my cosmic consultant, and I don't remember all of it, and then I go, but she gives me an audio, or she lets me audio record it, so I listen to it again. Um, you know, I remember when I took Jet and Pickles to the holistic vet, it was an hour and a half a session, which was insane, and I didn't have a great framework for it because it was for a, an animals. I guess it was just Jet that I went to for the first one. So it was just her body, whereas with the naturopathic one, I, I have this like schema of my own body and how it works, so I, I added on to my existing knowledge. With Jed, I didn't have that same thing. So that session felt so overwhelming. They gave us this little like duotang of information, which was great, but I was exhausted by the end of that session. That was, that was a really powerful session for me because it reminded me of how it is for people who are encountering new almost entirely new knowledge right. or information. And so I recently started recording my life coaching sessions and sending those to people, to my clients. And it took me stepping back and realizing, like, there's a worry of it. Like, do I really want my session recorded? You know, what if what if they use it against me? But, right. but I was like, ultimately, the value for them is way more. 
and I trust my relationship with my clients, you know, whatever, that's my choice. But, but I yeah. think that it's valuable for them. I mean, there, there is a middle ground where it's just transcribed and the audio recording itself isn't. I mean, sure. Which, if that makes it feel better, but. Oh, and, and give the practitioner a chance to redact or edit or. Sure. Whatever. But that, that, and that exists. And that doesn't have to be that practitioner who does that. Like, you spit it into Descript, which yeah. I've done, and it's choppy, and then someone else can go and edit that if yeah. they want to. I mean, that's a lot of extra work, but... Or you don't edit, and it's just a mnemonic, like a memory provoker for the patient, and yeah. it's like they have to translate it themselves. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah, there's some way around it. There's a problem there. There's got to be a way around it. There is a way around it. It's just a matter of how valuable people feel. So, th yeah, how how much value that's going to offer. So having accurate information and reducing questions or being able to, yeah. you know. There's there's good stats. I don't know. There are stats on how much people retain out of those. Right. That exists how valuable it is, it's like anecdotally thought of as the most important thing. Or as like a very important part of the relationship. I hadn't actually thought about this. I don't know. We've been talking about your experience a lot. and But I I don't know. I, this is one of my, has been one of my issues with the medical system is that it doesn't feel aligned with our current experience living. Like, you know, the last 20 years, we've significantly changed our, our the patient experience with healthcare because we have Google and we have, you know, we're, we're at a different patient level than we used to be. But I don't know how much the medical practitioners have altered or the medical system has altered to accommodate that. You know, a lot of their documents are old, they don't provide references. They're just not, they're not at the level that our brains are used to right now. Our brains are used to getting, having access to lots of information and then we put in a situation where we don't have access and we don't know how to find it quickly and reliably. So some kind of like resource librarian type role, yeah. information role is probably a huge investment but might be like a single huge pivotal point yeah to change the system and i think those roles kind of exist already they're called like triage nurses or or patient flow navigators which is basically a receptionist but there are people in those roles but the access to them is incredibly difficult, and the resources given to them are minimal. Yeah, and, and so, I don't think that they're valued from the medical practitioner's perspective. Like, they should be partners in healthcare. I yeah. Like, I, I think the same thing is happening with, with librarians. Like, you know, I never really thought about the value of a librarian, but until... The last five years... What, as a professor? Is that you? As a 
as a partner in in education and academia. Right, as your position yeah. And then in the last five years, I've relied on them because they know. Like, you know, I can do my lit searches and stuff, but I can't teach my students how to do that. I need the librarians to help new people navigating the psychology databases or the healthcare databases, you know, and even just, I could fire an email off to my librarian and say, I need these videos or I need videos that do this. Can you find this for me? Like I can send them a whole list of shit that I need as resources and they can put it on my course website. I don't even have to do that. So they are. Sorry, are they called librarians anymore? Yeah. Oh well, there's there's librarians. Uh, they might have new names, but there's also people who work under them. Anyway, they're a huge wealth of knowledge, and I feel like the same. We don't value them as much in academia as we should. Like, and also use them. Like they're more skilled at finding information than I am. That's what they've been trained to do. And they know different databases. Like, they know... Anyway. I should do a little shout-out to uh, Liz in case she's listening right now. Because she's, she's a librarian. I don't know if that's your full title, but in uh, out here in Ontario. Should I not say that? Isn't she? She's in Ontario. Yeah. Oh. She is in Ontario. Right. She's out here in Ontario. I oh, didn't want to say any more specifics. Hi, Liz. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm starting to rant about shit like that, but um, I don't know. This is. Do you have? Okay, so it's already been 55 minutes, ish. We haven't even. We've just basically gotten. We haven't even gotten to the diagnosis yet. I know. So we're just recapping. So then he sends me to the to get a biopsy. Right. Which was controversial as well because there's fear right. that if you disrupt the cancer cells by sticking a big needle in and let them flow around into the rest of your body, that'll give you metastases. Yeah. Anyway, I go in regardless. The guy who did it was awesome. He was kind of robotic. Like, he was very methodical and efficient, but the weirdest part was when he punctured. Like, I saw him yeah. taking these huge needles out that are like... Which is not your favorite. <laughs> yeah. Thick, like, I don't know. Quarter inch needles, and then I feel him jab it through my, through oh, my God. leg. You must have almost thrown up. No, I wasn't. That's fine. No, it was mm-hmm. just with. I think he just put like. I mean, I was awake. He just put topical. Local anesthetic. Local anesthetic. Anyway, whatever. Blah blah blah. I got the biopsy. The biopsy came back um, positive. It was a tumor. Um, and or it was malignant they stage it was stage one cancer grade two which i didn't fully understand what that meant it was small and small it was like 1.4 centimeters or something contained had a capsule blah blah blah, all this stuff 
well-defined borders. Um, and renal cell carcinoma. So, and, and so... Renal cell carcinoma is a way of describing a particular kidney cancer. cancer. Just for those who didn't know what yeah. you were saying there. And so I already had, as per my earlier earlier conversation, I already thought that I I had cancer most likely, and this was just confirm confirming it. Um, so it wasn't a big shock. I had already kind of grieved, and I guess I should say in the previous um, previous meeting with the surgeon, the urologist, he basically said, "Oh no, it's." there's no way that there's tumors in your liver. There's, like, you'd basically be having way more symptoms if you had metastases throughout your body. Um, and it's really rare to have metastases from from the kidney go to your liver. Um, so I felt... And he also said, like, we'll just cut this out and you'll be done and yeah. it's not a big deal basically which he was like like over the top like don't worry about it there's no big deal which it's very confident yeah which felt like reassuring and also like really and <laughs> like well what if I am because he gave me some stuff like 95% cure rate and then it's like well what if I'm one of the five percent yeah anyway but generally I feel like I was feeling pretty good like yeah I still have cancer whatever and there's risk with surgery but um I felt like I was in good hands and things were gonna be okay yeah at that point um so then we went in and saw him again, him and the fellow again after the biopsy, which confirmed everything. Um, I think we did some more blood tests. Yeah, I think and I prepped for surgery. And then, and then, yeah, prepped for surgery. And then there was another bunch of weirdness prepping and scheduling yeah. the pre-admission visit, which... Yeah. Which is a technological issue. Yeah, my UHN told me that my pre-admission visit would be four hours long and would consist of getting my height and weight measured and confirming my address. I'm like, why? <laughs> hey, why is this four hours long? And oh why do I have to go into the hospital to, to do all this? Mm. Anyway, we go in, or I go in, and... It was actually decent. I mean, there were lots of issues with it, but uh, got to speak with a lot of people, asked a lot of questions, got lots of answers. None of it recorded. Got lots of pamphlets. Read very few of them. Got <laughs> um, a lot of black and white photocopies. Yeah. Which had uh, conflicting information at times. <laughs> And talked about all sorts of different things that I didn't have, nor would get. Right. So, like... And luckily you knew that. Yeah. 
Um, but overall, that was a decent thing, pre-admission visit, which was, I think I saw a pharmacist, a nurse, an anesthesiology nurse, potentially, or somebody from anesthesia. Um, I think I got my blood test, blood work done again. I think I got a chest x-ray and an ECG and maybe one other thing. Oh, and got enrolled, randomly got enrolled in a, a research trial to do hypnosis, like basically listen to a audio recording. Okay. It's one hour. Okay. So, I'm just wondering what... You can break this into two. Well, I know, but I need to know where to break it up. And then I go in for surgery. (laughs) To To be be continued. Um, But we still haven't talked about your idea about how to change it. It's a a new one. Yeah, I know it is a new one. So do you want to just finish, like... Do I want to skip forward? Well, yeah, but what are other main things... It yeah, felt I think fit fairly smooth sailing after the diagnosis. I would say more or less, but the big yeah, I, after I was. I mean, I would say it was worrisome for me because now you were diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, it's true. And this is something that I've been battling with different people about. Like, why why can we not have these, these resources available before you're diagnosed? Yeah. And I think it's because of billing. Right. Right. I think the most important time to have some of this stuff is peri-diagnostics. It's like around... Yep. Around the time of diagnosis. But who pays for it until it's diagnosed? Yeah. Maybe it's a retroactive thing. It's like, this person ended up with cancer, therefore we're going to charge cancer, right. whatever. And there's fear that if you diagnose, or sorry, if you give people all this information before they're diagnosed, they'll just read about the worst, the worst case scenario. Yeah, but they already are. Yeah. Half of them. So yeah, my, the big ideas out of it all were like, how do we... Is this the next episode? Okay. Oh, okay. I don't know. I just want to say this Kay. while we're Kay. talking. Yep, just go. get it out. So the big ideas are around like, how might we really leverage and optimize and... Um, support the the face-to-face interaction with between the patient family and the provider or specialist in this case so do you mean specialist or do you mean provider as in all the different people who are providing care um or do you mean that very specific point of the specialist i think it starts with the specialist but can be 
expanded to everyone. Okay. Any, and when I say face-to-face, -face, I mean currently face-to-face, -face, but if this goes virtual, it would be the same requirement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just, I really liked how you used the word provider, and I'm just wondering if that Yeah, I just use that as a more expansive. Yeah, I think it's great, and because I think it allows for us to consider what who the provider is. The provider is the whole team or an information provider, yeah. a support, an emotional support provider. Yeah, any of the above. Yeah. So like that's one. The second one is how do we, how might we create a system or tools to support patients and families in between visits and appointments and tests because that's when the majority of the questions actually arise and the anxiety of the unknown and the fear and stress mm -hmm. is why you're waiting and yeah. not knowing. That's two. And then kind of a follow-on to that is how do we provide the right information at the right time to the right person? Yeah. in a personalized way. You know, some of that's redundant, but... Yeah. Because there is infinite information out there. We, as modern humans, expect information, so when we don't have access to it, um, we'll go find our own, which is problematic. Yeah, but it's, yeah, for sure. It and can it's, be and it's, it can be, but there's also different, it's not just about information because, or it's about different kinds of information. Because for some people, it's about the academic scientific research. Yeah. For some people, it's online or in person community support networks, like knowing that other people have had the same experience, or like what questions should, some people don't even know what questions to ask, yeah. and that worries them. So it's like, who can I talk with who tells me that? Um, or for some people, it's, you know, maybe it's learning mindfulness or relaxation tools because they just need to not be worrying and staying up at night because they're worrying about this, mm -hmm. you know? And then there's all this other stuff, like, that I was lucky not to have to deal with, but, like, there's some people who have, like, massive side effects or yeah. their entire life, like, they can't go back to work or they will never be able to have kids or yeah. they have, will have to, like, lose an arm or have, like, yeah, exactly. changes So not even knowing life. that occupational therapists exist. Like, that's a whole branch yeah. that, you know, or... Financial is massive. Yeah. Um, in the States, that's... I think the number one thing um, out of K 
cancer is I need help understanding how to pay for all this and how am I going to support my family with the repercussions of this or support treatment or drugs or whatever. Yeah, or how do I make decisions? I mean, yeah, like we were going through that with Jet. Um, other things like diet, like what do I do now that I can't eat solid food or now that I don't have any kidneys left, do I need to avoid meat or should I eat more meat or that kind of stuff? Yeah, or if I have a colostomy. Yeah. Um, and then another big one for me was around prehab. And that's yeah. for other people as well. Like what can I do? to be proactive, like, shit, it sucks that I have cancer and that I'm going to have this treatment. Is there anything that I could possibly do, diet, sleep, stress, um, physical activity, anything that I can do to make this surgery, this treatment, this chemo, whatever, more, either more effective and or less, uh, like, disruptive to my body and my system? Yeah. Well, and post-op care, too. Yeah. Like, I mean, you got very little information about post-op, except don't pick up anything more than 20 pounds for six weeks or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, and nothing about diet, nothing about mental health. You had to ask how long you should be off work. But, yeah. So, do you want to... No, that's it. That's it? Okay. Well, I don't know. So, that's the problem that you are trying to solve. Do you want to talk at all about what you're doing or just putting it out there? Because you're in a situation, you work for a healthcare design consultancy yeah you're working that's how i want to leave this post is okay like because i don't know what the answers actually are i just know that there's some problems and like clustered themes around like when and where what kinds of the problems are there that i i think from a patient experience perspective we should be tackling and are, are capable of tackling yeah um And there's lots of ideas on how to do that, but. Yeah, and I guess to sort of reiterate that what you're doing is not simple solutions. Or they could be simple, but you're you're looking at big, systemic, holistic changes, like things that have a broad impact, not just like this specific problem needs help in this department or at this point in care. It's like broad sweeping uh, rethinking of some ways of delivering and supporting patients through their entire experience yeah exactly and I think yeah that's a meta final point is how what how might we support patients throughout their entire cancer experience from pre-diagnosis all the way to you know to death yeah for you know, lack of a better end point.
Yeah. And whether that's because they're, you know, whether are they in active follow-up yeah. for the next X number of years or if they're in more of a chronic uh, cancer treatment type model for for the rest of their lives or if they go into palliative. Um, those are the three. Right. Yeah, like basically once you've had cancer, you've had cancer until you die, whether it's through cancer yeah. or through other things, but you will always have some kind of follow-up, some kind of, you've always had a history with cancer. Yeah. And therefore you are in a special group who gets and should get special care. Yeah. Special considerations or unique considerations. Yeah. And I, and I think, yeah, just to put a fine point on the on what you brought up, is around end to end because um, all the way that the system is currently set up is very is super siloed and broken up and fragmented into all sorts of different pieces, lots of different professions, lots of different systems, hospitals, GPs, specialists, uh, radiologists, imaging, labs, blah, 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 like all sorts of different little slivers of the whole system and those all have evolved into those little slivers for kind of important reasons but now I feel like we've gotten to a point where those kind of pillars or institutions are like relatively strong but now it's time to stitch them together so that the patient can flow through them in a seamless way and and get rid of redundancies and get rid of unnecessary stress and anxiety for the patient yeah. um, we can connect this stuff with with and without technology so that it's um, actually a good system that supports the patient throughout because that's the whole point of this entire <laughs> exercise is to support and care for the patient yeah not, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Thank you.